message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 this morning. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Open your Bibles, look it up on your phone, your tablet, whatever you might have. Uh, Again, the importance that when a pastor gets up, if he doesn't say open up your Bibles, then you're probably in the wrong place. We want to go to God's Word this morning for truth, for strength. But uh, guys, uh, I realize a lot of our folks are at home. You you decided to, to stay at home this morning. Uh, for a lot of different reasons, and that's wonderful. But I want to tell you what a blessing it is this morning to be able to look at faces as we're worshiping. Uh, because the last couple of weeks when we've done the pre-recording, it's just been Sherry, Ricky, and myself. And Sherry's pretty to look at, Ricky not so much. And so it has been one of those things that, uh, you know, the worship audience, if you want to say, the worship team uh, has been just us three. And to be able to watch Rory sing and Miss Vicky sing this morning, to hear Radley Jamaican tap over there on the car during our singing. That just, uh, it's made my day already. I appreciate it so much, so much. Let's pray together this morning and then we're going to dive in and see how James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4, especially verse 4, applies to this in this special time of our own lives, the life of our country, and really the life of the world. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we love you. We thank you so much. Again, Father, for the hope that is Christ Jesus. Father, for us to place our hope anywhere else except for in Christ, we have misplaced it. Father, as much as we love our families, as much as we love even our moms, for us to place our total hope in in family and in moms that are imperfect, Father, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. And yet, Father, when we place our faith in you, Father, when we put our confidence in you and your truth, the truth of your word, then, Father, we have placed it in the right place, for you do not disappoint. You do not let down, for you are perfect in all your ways. So, Father, this morning, as we look at this very familiar passage, a passage that we probably have uh, read and studied and heard preached maybe even 10, 20, 30 times in our lifetime, Father, help us to see the application this morning as we deal with a world crisis, Father, a world event that is life-changing. And Father, help us to see the challenge of your word this morning so that everything that you want to do through this, Father, can be accomplished in our personal lives. Father, we ask all this in the hope that is Christ Jesus. Amen. Folks, the last time that our country went through something similar to this was about 20 years ago after 9-11, and after that attack, there were uh, remarkable changes in our country almost immediately. We saw people that came together. We saw people, you know, Republicans and Democrats put their R's and their D's down for the moment, and they became A's, Americans. And we saw kind of a unity there in our country that uh, really was, I haven't seen the rest of my lifetime. We saw other things happen even in the spiritual community. At that time, I was pastoring another church in Swanee, and the first Sunday after 9-11, people were looking for hope, they were looking for encouragement, direction for their lives, and folks, we were overwhelmed at our church at Shadowbrook. 
It was amazing to hear the phrase standing room only. We had not only standing room only, we had people out in our lobby area. There were truly thousands that came out that first Sunday. The next Sunday, probably an increase of about three or four hundred. By the third Sunday after 9-11, it was back to the norm. Now, you can make a lot of different deductions on that, different kind of thoughts of why that happened. But some aspects of our lives after 9-11 changed forever. We will probably never go on a plane again without the kind of precautions that we see these days that, uh, you know, where you have to have checked and you have to have body scans and all those different things. Some things after 9-11 will probably be forever changed. But there were a lot of things that changed temporarily and then got back to life as usual. My challenge this morning is that, that I want us to look at this very familiar passage. And I want us to look at it in a way of what does it challenge us to do in this special time of not just the world, not just America, not just Georgia, but in your lives and in your own personal lives. See, while there's many differences between this time of COVID-19 and the events of 9-11, there is one similarity, and that is that it causes us to pause and to reevaluate. I mean, this really happens in times of crisis in our lives. Somebody has a heart attack or heart symptoms. Somebody finds out that they have cancer. Somebody says, uh, comes in and your spouse says, I, I don't want to be married anymore. There are times in our lives when all of a sudden our life stops. Our heart seemingly almost begins to stop for a moment. We lose breath. And in that moment of crisis, we really do begin to, to wonder, what is going to happen for the rest of my life? And all of a sudden we begin to reevaluate things. We begin to value differently. We begin to gain perspective that perhaps we didn't have before. Now, I want you to keep that in mind this morning as we look at James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Again, a very familiar passage. We've seen it time and time again. We've preached it here, uh, I think, in our series in James, but also maybe another isolated time. But look first at James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I wish I could count the number of times that I have been asked questions as a pastor over the last 37 years about this verse because it really seems an odd verse because it puts two things together that don't naturally go together i mean in life there's a lot of things that just go together peanut butter and jelly yeah you know salt and pepper you know batman and robin macaroni and cheese you know adam and eve you hear one and you almost automatically think of the other. You just kind of connect those two because they just seem naturally to go together. But here we see that God links two things together that we would never naturally put together. Trials and joy. Look again what he says in verse 2. Count it all joy. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I have to admit that it's it's a passage that is often misunderstood because of this unusual linking together. Uh, People have asked me, Pastor, am I really supposed to be happy about my difficulties? And the answer to that, just in case you were wondering, is no. You don't have to be happy about it. If, If I'm not happy 
in the midst of my trials, Pastor, is God disappointed in me? Is he mad at me? I, I would say not. Because this is a challenge. It is a call. But it's a call to, to, to something that is really supernatural. See, when God links these two things together, joy and trials, he knows that it's not by our natural strength that we're going to be able to achieve this. When we come across these things in the Bible that are unnatural, God is calling us to depend on him for the strength to be able to do that. Let me give you another example just so that you see the similarity. In the Bible, God says, I want you not only to forgive your enemies, I want you to pray for your enemies. Now, is that natural to us? I mean, if somebody has really, really offended you, I mean, they've hurt you. It's not just that they said that you're having a bad hair day. It's not just some comment that they said that, you know, kind of goes surface but not beyond. But I'm talking about people who have hurt you to the core. They have disrupted your life unlike anybody else. And yet we see this challenge from God's word. He says, not only forgive your enemy, but pray for your enemy. But what is God doing in that command? Is it just that, that we're such nice people that we're just to be, you know, nice? No, God is actually doing something in this act of asking you to forgive your enemy, to release you from that burden, to release you from uh, the hurt that's there. See, God always has a bigger plan when he asks us to do something supernaturally, putting our faith and trust in him than what we could do naturally on our own. And we begin to see that as we go to verse 3. Look at verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, steadfastness is not a word that more than likely you used in a sentence last week in your home. More than likely, most of us don't speak with that particular word. So what does it mean? Steadfastness means patience. It means maturity. It means uh, an ability to endure, to persevere. So God is calling us to do something that, that is lasting instead of something that is temporary. He says that you know that the testing of your faith produces in you a maturity that you would never get on your own. Bottom line, here's what God is saying. That he is calling us as we put our faith in him in this time of testing to trust that he is doing something good. Perhaps one of the hardest parts of being a pastor is going to somebody's life who has been crushed by an incident, maybe sickness, maybe death, maybe divorce, maybe other things of just where there's just been a hard thing. And, and for them to ask, what is God doing here? And, and you as a pastor, you don't know. You don't know the specific answer. You don't know what lies in their life next week, next month, next year. But here's the confidence that I have because of the word of God that God is doing something that eventually, as they place their faith in him, that will be good. Now, let me stop right here and try to clarify what James is and what he is not saying. James is not saying that the trial itself is in any way good. No, it's the fruit that comes out. It's what God can produce supernaturally in our lives that is the good. The trial itself, if, if your spouse has a cancer, if your spouse told you that they don't want to be married to you, folks, there's a part of that. that what is good about that? No, it's what God is 
eventually going to do in maturity in our life or can do that is the good. The trial itself, James is not trying to say, is good. James is not saying that the, the test is an easy test. Here's what he's also not saying. I think this is where we can confuse by, as Christians sometimes. I do not believe that James is saying, okay, chin up, and that we start singing the Annie song. You know the Annie song? The sun will come out tomorrow. You know, I don't know that it, the call here biblically is all of a sudden for, for you and I, as we go through the darkest, most trying, challenging times of our life, is that we just say, you know, <laughs> sun will come out tomorrow. And then just in step, we start singing this song. The way of faith is a difficult way. It is not one that comes to our mind and our heart naturally. And you know what God calls us to here is something that is quite supernatural. Folks, when it comes to theology, this is deep into the pool theology. You know, if, if you learn to swim, a lot of times they would take you to the shallow end. And let's say that you're four foot tall. And they would take you to where the water was two foot or three foot. And, and you would be there in the shallow end of the pool so that as you start to, to, to uh, swim and learn to swim, if for some reason you got anxious, you could always stand up, put your feet on the ground, and your head would be out of the water. And there's a lot of principles in the Bible. There's a lot of callings that God makes upon our life that are, I could say, kind of the shallow end of the pool. When he tells us to love one another, you know, in one way, that's kind of the shallow end of the pool until he says, love your enemy. Then it's very much the deep end of the pool because there's nothing natural in us that wants us to love somebody who has opposed us and hurt us. And yet, look what he says. This deep pool theology where we cannot stand on our own. Believe me, God has not put us there to drown but to grow. Verse 3 again. For you know, see that word know? That the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This maturity, this perseverance, this ability to keep on going on. So what is it that the believer, what is it as believers, what is it that we know that can allow us the opportunity to have joy in the midst of trials? Let me share with you two things this morning. Number one, we can know that God is well aware of your situation. Have you ever felt so distant in your prayers, so alone in your prayers, that as you prayed, you began to try to inform God of your situation? Have you ever done that before? God, I just want you to know how much I'm hurting down here. That this person down the street or this person at work or this person, and we try to inform God of what's going on in our lives, as if he's totally unaware. Now, it's a common mistake that we make, and, and I think God gives amazing grace and forgiveness for that and, and certainly understands our, our fallibility in that. But one of the things that we can know that can allow us to have joy in the midst of a trial is that God is fully aware of every detail that's going on in our lives. And get this, guys, get this. And the ones that we're not aware of, one of my favorite stories is the story of a of a young lady that was praying uh, a prayer years ago, and and uh, 
she began to, to pray. She said, dear God, I'm facing the biggest challenge of my life. My husband is just. And about that time, as she got to that point of the prayer, she heard a voice. And she believed that it was God's voice. And, and the voice said, 97,471. She thought that was kind of strange. She began to pray again. What, God? And she heard the voice again. 97,471. And then she got a, a little bit confused, but she also got a little bit angry at God. She's got, here I am pouring my heart out to you. I'm going through the biggest heartbreak of my entire life. I'm trying to fill you in with the details of why I feel this way. And you pick out this random number to quote to me. And then she heard the voice say this. Oh, there's nothing random about that number. 97,471. That's the number of hairs on your head, my child. Folks, the intimacy by which God knows you understands you is one of the reasons that we can actually have some hope that we can be joyful in the trial the greatest example jesus christ himself he's facing drinking this cup of wrath for us as he goes to the cross he he, the father is going to turn away from him my god my god why do you turn away from me and yet, in Hebrews 12, 2, we see these beautiful words. For the joy Christ endured the cross. How can he have joy in the midst of suffering, pain, and, and, and all that went on with the cross? Because he trusted the Father, and he knew a plan was being accomplished. See, that's the second thing that will give us confidence this morning. When we go through these trials, when we go through these times and our our lives are kind of turned upside down, we know that not only is God well aware of our situation, but get this, guys, God will never waste that situation in your life. When we cry out, God, my life is a complete mess, we can be assured that God will respond to us. Yeah, It may seem like a mess, but I, I can use this to write that story of your life. That's really the hope that we read in that familiar verse of Romans 8.28. There's some really deep theology in Romans 8.28 that sometimes we don't uh, really grab onto because we want the practical part. But there is that practical part. Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. This is not A fortune cookie wish, guys. This isn't something that we open up the fortune cookie and God says, you know, things are going to work out. Now, this is knowledge based on the fact that God is in control. Do you notice that in Romans 8.28, it uses that same word, know, that we know? That's more than just a mental agreement. It's really trusting God. It's having such a confidence in the character of God, the person of God, of who God is, that we know that our life does not escape him. And especially our trials and our tragedies do not escape him. This is where we really begin to to see what God is trying to accomplish. Because so oftentimes we read Romans 8.28 
and, and may I challenge you that for the rest of your life, that you will never quote or read Romans 8.28 without also attaching Romans 8.29? Because Romans 8.29 is the purpose you know, Romans 28, 28 has great hope, but what is this purpose? What is he working? And in verse 29, he says, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What does that mean? That as we go through trials, as God is working his purposes, there is one goal that God has in mind for all these purposes. And that is that you and I would be more Christ-like that you and I more and more and more would reflect and look like Jesus Christ. That's, that's our hope. Now let's go to the last verse that we're going to look at this morning, James 1.4. This is a verse that oftentimes I believe that we, uh, when we read a passage, gets kind of left off to the side. We read James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, and we're going, man, that's good stuff right there. And then kind of verse 4 just kind of fades in the shadows. Let me challenge you this morning. Verse 4 is the anchor, folks. <laughs> verse 4 is, is the ultimate end of this passage where he challenges us to have joy in the midst of trials. Look what he says in verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, he's not talking about perfection as far as, you know, that we're going to go through the life of the rest of our life without sin. Certainly, through Christ, there, there's the theoretical possibility of that. But what he's talking about, that God is ever working to make us more and more reflect the image of Christ. And that his ultimate goal is that our life, as we would go along, would be more and more just like the image of Christ. That we just think like Christ. We would act like Christ. We would love like Christ. We'd forgive like Christ. This is God's working in our lives. And here he says, he, this important part, he says, let this steadfastness have what? Its full effect. See that word, those words, that phrase, full effect? You may not know this, but that full effect is the same Greek word, the root word there, that Jesus used when he was on the cross. Remember, Jesus had seven different sayings on the cross. And the sixth of those sayings, before he commended his spirit to the Father, was, it is finished. All that Christ had lived for, everything that he wanted to accomplish, was complete. The cruelty of the cross, completed. The work of redemption, completed. The final sacrifice for our sin, completed. He, he proclaims, it is finished. That's the word James uses here. He uses that same root word in the Greek. In other words, he says, make sure that as you go through these trials, let God finish the work. Let it have its full effect. Now, let me get deeply theological for you a second. Let me break it down to some deep theological words. Don't get the pain without getting the gain. I'm not, I'm not trying to be cute. <laughs> Have you ever seen somebody go through the pain of something and they never got the gain of something? Because they, they stopped short. 
One of the applications of this text, as Paul says, count it all joy when you go through the trials. I'm doing something in your work. When he calls us to ha- let it have its full effect in our life, he said, look, don't stop short. How will your life be forever changed because of this whole COVID-19 thing? I mean, there's going to be some things, you know, I heard a discussion the other day. Will we ever be able to put 80,000 people into, you know, UGA, Sanford Stadium anymore? Will you ever be able to go to a football game and and gather with 80,000 of your best friends? You know, a lot of things are questioned now about how we do life. But let me break it down to a personal level. What have you learned in this time of trial? And I realize that COVID-19 has probably affected some people more than others. There are some people that have lost their job. There are other people that have lost a family member. I was talking to a sweet, sweet lady the other day. And today is Mother's Day. And because of the whole COVID-19 thing, her her mother is is in a, a retirement home. And she's not able to see her mom for the first time in probably her whole adult life. Different levels of how this thing has affected to us. But but here's the hope. That in the midst of all of this change. And the hope of all the unknown of the future. that, That we could say this. God, here's what I've learned. I've learned the importance of family. Because that's all I've had for the last eight weeks. I've learned the importance of pausing and being still and knowing that you are God because I was forced to pause. I was forced to, to not go to the store and this, that, and the other. What have you learned? What has your family learned that you can say, you know, more than likely we would have not learned fill in the blank had we progressed in life on the route that we were Eight weeks ago. See, that's what we take when we really want God to, to use this whole COVID-19 thing for its full effect. One thing that has really influenced me um, on a personal level, guys, for 37 years, you go to church on Sunday morning and you just expect your church family to be there. And there's times that you do that with great joy. And there's times you do that because it's your job. Forgive me for saying that. But sometimes, you know, you've had a bad week. And sometimes you don't feel like being the preacher that morning. And your wife has to remind you, no, you have to go. You actually are the one preaching this morning. One of the things that I so value after these eight weeks is to be able to look at your faces to experience what it means to be family in a church family. That God did not only just bless us with my wife and my two girls and my grandchildren and son-in-laws. I love them. But this morning, I value you. Last couple of weeks when we've just kind of done the pre-recording, Ricky gets up here and sings and, and I get up here and preach. It's a means to the end of getting the word out. But it has been incomplete because of you. We don't know when we're going to meet together again, guys. We don't know if it'll be by the end of this month. We don't know if it'll be in June. We don't know. We're just going to be kind of traveling along and being as wise as we can. But I want you to know this. 
one of the reasons why we had the drive-in today, knowing that most people would stay home, especially because it's Mother's Day, one of those reasons was a selfish reason. I, I will just tell you right up front. I wanted to see your face. I wanted to, to, to be able to, to look out there when we were singing and just be able to say this morning, you know, see Vicky with her hands up over there singing the songs. That's why I pray we will never, ever look at the same again. When it's Sunday morning and you'd rather have on your PJs and stay at home, that you would see this great gift that God has given us, that we get to assemble together as a family of God and worship our creator. I hope that you have some of those lessons that on a personal level, on a family level, the importance of sitting down at a supper and not being rushed, the importance of other things that you've learned. Hold on to those things so that this can have its full effect and that more and more and more we will just understand the hope that is Christ and the fulfillment, the anchor that Christ is. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. Father, this morning we just thank you that uh, that you can combine two things that we would never put in the same sentence. Father, that we can consider it joy even though we go through trials. Not because the trial is fun, not because it is uh, just not all that hurtful. No, because we have a confidence that you are forever working your gracious plan for our lives. And that you're bringing us more and more into the conformity of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you for this. And we pray, Father, that we would allow it to have the full effect in our lives. Help us not to quickly forget these valuable lessons. Father, help us to to, to really make decisions that will change the balance of our life as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.